Good morning. It is so good to be with you. Yes, please be seated. Um, I'm great. It's great to be back in worship. I've, uh, I couldn't tell you the last time I missed two out of three Sundays, but, uh, but I have been gone the uh, last few weeks, and of course one of them uh, was vacation, and I really enjoyed it. Last week uh, we were at conference, and uh, of course I enjoyed that as well, but uh, it, was, it was work. And, um, and so it's official, uh, Pastor Shane has left the building, and uh, Pastor Elizabeth has not quite landed, so we're in that in-between time, one of my favorite uh, uh, seminary technology or terms or theological terms, liminal time, where we're in between the already and the not yet, so here we are, and so I kind of feel like Aaron when Moses was up on that mountain, you know, and he was kind of out of sight and, and out of the camp. And so I'm working really hard not to raise up any golden calves while the pastors are away. So don't come to my office asking me to do something we never done or didn't get to do while the boss was in town. Um, so we'll, we'll get there. Uh, our scripture passage for today is from Mark. I'm not going to ask you to stand because it's pretty long and I, and I really want you to hear it. Um, so I don't want you to get tired and, and disconnect. So... Uh, um, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, I'll sort of jump into the middle at verse 21, and we'll, and we'll go to the end. So uh, hear now the reading of God's Word. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians that had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately, aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the teacher of the synagogue, 
the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have been... um, studying and reflecting on this passage for quite some time. It's, it's the advantage of knowing that you're going to preach in four or five weeks out. And so I don't even know how many times I've read it. Uh, probably, that was probably like the 101st time I've read this passage. And, and, and I always was looking for some hidden treasure. You know, you know something that, that, that I didn't see before or that I haven't seen or that someone else... Uh, never called attention to. It's, it's kind of the, the curse of being a, the preacher. Uh, we desperately want to have some solid, original theological thought that no one else had seen or thought of before. But, but at this point, uh, I think it's hopeless. Uh, after 2,000 years since Jesus' resurrection and ascension, I would say that what has been thought and said pretty much covers it. But I still am faithful to my work, and I've spent time reading and studying and praying and writing and reading and studying and praying and writing. Uh, And as late as 11 o'clock last night, I was still reading and studying and praying and writing. And then miraculously, it appears when I step into this space. And so I'm so thankful for God's role in uh, my call to preach. Um, and, And I thought about how this story was connected to other scripture passages like Abraham who laughed when God said that, that Sarah would have a son at 90 years old or, or Lazarus whom Jesus restored to life after being dead for four days. I looked for similarities and differences, maybe hoping for some comparison and contrast. And I saw that Jairus and the woman both fell at Jesus' feet. I saw that that Jesus didn't actually touch either of those whom he healed in these stories. And I noticed that the woman had been suffering for 12 years, while the girl who died also was 12 years of old. And, And I pondered the significance of that. I thought about how 12 years of suffering must have seemed like an eternity a long, long time, but that a life cut short in its own, only its twelfth year is not very long at all. And yet it's the same amount of time. It's twelve years. But I realized it can be both long and short, really, depending on your perspective, how you choose to see it. Jesus did two things consistently throughout the Gospels. 
He preached about the kingdom of God and he healed. Sometimes the healing was by his touch. Sometimes it was simply spoken and the person was restored and healed. Sometimes, in one instance in particular, he wasn't even in the same village with the person who was healed. In any event, Jesus' healings were miraculous. They were miracles. Our scripture lesson contains two seemingly unrelated miraculous healings. Some would say even coincidental. Jesus happened to be coming to the village of Jairus and the suffering woman. The the woman happened to be in the crowd as Jesus passed by. The daughter happened to die before Jesus actually arrived at the house. Coincidence has been defined by Webster as remarkable occurrences of seemingly unrelated events. And Einstein said that um, coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. But, but I'm not sure I would agree with him. In fact, I would almost take exception to it. Scripture teaches us that God desires not to be anonymous, not to remain anonymous, but to be known and to be named, especially in the event of miraculous healings. God wants us to call it what it is. It's Him. It's God working through the Holy Spirit, through the lives of other people to do good works for His children. And and He wants us to recognize it for what it is. The passage that that I read is preceded by another healing. So so Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, contains three healings that appear to be unrelated, but but they are. The, the, The man who was possessed by demons and living in the cemetery among the tombs, the Scripture says. Jairus' daughter who is dead by the time that Jesus arrives, and the woman woman suffering a bleeding disorder, all, according to Jewish law, are thought to be impure and and unclean. And, And a true man of God, a rabbi or a teacher, at the time would not have engaged any of these three suffering souls. The text tells us that Jesus crossed the sea and arrived at the other side and immediately was surrounded by people, by a crowd, and and, and word by now had spread of Jesus' powerful teaching and His word and His deeds, and and folks were coming from all over to to see Him, to, to be healed, to listen to this amazing teaching that He taught when suddenly a man broke through the crowd and fell at Jesus' feet. And he begged Jesus, Come, lay hands on my daughter so that she may be made well. Now the word that is used there, that may be made well, has also been translated, be healed or, or be saved. And we'll, we'll get to that later. 
But the man was a, a leader of the local synagogue, and his bowing at Jesus' feet is, is an act of humility and honor and reverence. And, and we like to think that the entire Jewish uh, temple institution was against Jesus. But we see in stories like this one with Jairus and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea that that's just not the case. Some leaders of the temple system were indeed interested in Jesus and his message and came, and, and so Jairus came to Jesus. And so he must have had some sort of some faith. He must have thought that Jesus had the power to heal his daughter, or else he would have stayed at home. So Jesus went, so, because that's what Jesus does. He, he goes where sick and dying people are, intent on knowing them, recognizing them, and on healing them. Along the way, Mark tells us that their travel is interrupted by a woman who presses in on the crowd, reaching between the people to snatch a healing from Jesus without him knowing it. But he does know it. He does notice. And he knows that power has flowed from him, but not because his power has somehow diminished but because he is fully aware of of what's going on around him and the people that are in his presence and and their needs. Jesus will not let her escape without knowing her, without recognition, without, without seeing her. He wants to find her. He insists on finding her. Who touched me, he asked his disciples to whom the the response was almost indignant. Who touched you? You see this crowd of people pressing in on you? They're all touching you. There's no way of knowing who touched you. Seeing Jesus' persistence on finding the one to whom his power had flowed, The woman, like Jairus, fell at his feet. But even though it was similar, her posture was completely different. She was afraid. She thought she had been caught doing something wrong. She was fully aware of her own impurity and Jesus' holiness. For 12 long years, she had suffered. Excommunicated from the religious community and practice, she was isolated in her suffering. She had spent all she had on treatment by doctors who were unable to cure her. She was terminal, and she was desperate. Jesus would not leave her out there on her own. And by addressing her, as daughter, he had immediately received her into the kingdom of God. She was not only fully healed, but she was restored. She was made whole. She was made clean. And meanwhile, at Jairus's house, his daughter had succumbed to de- death. So you see the contrast there. 
one daughter was healed and restored while another is dying and died actually before Jesus arrived. And so the, the messenger arrives on the scene and he says, It's too late. She's dead. No need to bother Jesus. Don't bother bringing him back to the house. She's already dead. It's over. To the reasonable and the rational thinker, death appears to be the end. Absent of faith in Jesus, there is no more to the story. An abrupt, hard stop. But Jesus affirms the faith of Jairus, which moved him to come looking for Jesus to begin with. Don't worry, he said. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Arriving at the house, they see all the commotion of the natural response to death. This is what we do. This is what they did. The professional mourners had been called in, weeping and wailing all over the place. The dirge had been begun and the wake was on. Food would be showing up at any moment. And Jesus is met. Jesus announces she is not dead, but only sleeping. And so he is met with the response to which he will grow accustomed Scorn and laughter. They laughed at him, just like Abraham laughed at God. And laughter and scorn are the reasonable responses to such talk of miracles, of raising someone from the dead, of resurrection. It's just nonsense. Rebuild the temple in three days? You you gotta be kidding. It took 40 years to build it. You're going to do what? Rise from the dead in three days? That's hilarious. Reason can be an obstacle to faith when we desperately try to explain the unexplainable. Look at her, they would say. She's not breathing. She's unresponsive. She is... Lifeless, D-E-A-D, dead, end of story, let's move on. And so Jesus clears the room of unbelievers. And he does that thing that he came to do. And he says to the little girl, get up. And she does. And when Jesus calls us to new life, to restoration, to full healing and wholeness, a proper response is is to do what He tells us to do. To go and, and live the life that He's called us to live. All we need to do is show a little faith and respond The Enlightenment, or the Age of Reason, as it was called, that begun in the late 17th century, brought us the idea that we're still suffering with today, that everything in the universe can can be rationally demystified and explained. 
One German philosopher summed up the movement with his motto, Dare to know. Have the courage to use your own reason. There is no room for mystery in that way of thinking. As I studied and prayed, I, was, I remembered, I was reminded of the story of a woman who used to attend here at Harrison Church. And she's moved out of the area, so I reached out to her this week and asked her if I could share her story, to which she graciously agreed. It was a little more than 10 years ago, and it was discovered that she had a brain aneurysm, and that if it were not removed, it could prove to be fatal. There was concern that if it were to rupture before it was removed, that severe brain damage would occur or possibly death. And so we prayed with her and over her regularly and faithfully here in this space and the other space and around the campus and out into our community. Hers was a name that stayed on our prayer list regularly. And on the evening prior to the surgery, the pastor that was here at the time visited with her and her family at the hospital the night before and prayed with her and left the hospital. Later, he would tell this story of how he was on his way home and was compelled to pull off the side of the road and pray fervently for her full healing. He returned home. He returned to the hospital the next day to sit with the family for what would have been a five to six hour surgery. But the doctors returned only an hour or so into it to announce to the family that her body had healed itself, that it had indeed miraculously repaired its own illness and that surgery was no longer necessary it was a miracle now science and reason can probably offer an explanation to how it exactly happened but she and her faith community chose to receive it as a miracle and gave God the the glory We choose to receive it and interpret it as a a miracle of God's healing touch. The mystery of the work that God does in our lives. Because we suffer the effects of the doctrine of dualism in our culture where, where reality of the universe exists in two radically opposing principles like good and evil, black and white, left and right, us and them, conservative and progressive. We have a difficult time accepting that something could actually be both and, either or, rather than either or. Faith and reason can both live side by side in a reality, in the same reality. You can see the effects of faith on an event that could be explained by reason or science. 
It doesn't dismiss or discount the work of God and the miracles of our lives. I tell you, the soul wants meaning and mystery. The soul does not desire a full understanding of everything in the universe. Perhaps you may remember having a conversation with one of your children about a particular tradition that you spent years building and protecting and defending, and then one day you find yourself explaining it in a whole new way with reality, in a more practical and reasonable way. And maybe you remember suffering a little bit of disappointment. Perhaps your child was devastated that all of a sudden this thing no longer has its mystery. Luther wrote in his sermon on this passage that the greater a man's reason is, the less he believes such things, and the more he laughs at it because reason cannot see anything other than death. Reasonable people have trouble with mystery. And, and I think the Catholic Church gets it right here that we must just simply be okay with the mystery of the faith. Where not everything needs an explanation. Jesus himself said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Not, not that we won't go to that place beyond the stars that we seem to be so focused on, but that you will not experience the kingdom of heaven here where, where things happen and you simply receive them as the mystery of Christ in a hurting and, and broken, broken world. I've been listening to you in recent weeks as we've had conversations and you've shared with me what's going on in your lives. I've heard stories of miracles, even though you may not have called them that. I've heard you tell of things like an unexpected check in the mail when you had a bill you couldn't figure out how you were going to pay. Or finally landing a new job or a promotion, or an unexpected bonus, or a pay raise, a phone call from someone you had been thinking about but had lost contact with. Another day of sobriety. Another chance to reconcile a broken relationship. Or having arrived at the bedside of a loved one before their passing the arrival of a new baby, and other simple blessings that we may or may not see God's miraculous hand at work. How you perceive the seemingly unrelated events occurring all around you every day is entirely up to you. 
to choose to see them as miracles rather than coincidence is itself an act of faith. One of the earthly Um, One of the early desert fathers of the Christian faith had this to say, to one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. Jesus is still in the business of performing miracles. Choose to be amazed. And so we come to this table full of mystery where the one who had the power to heal still has the power to heal and yet he was killed. And so each time we come to this table and we lift the bread and the cup and we celebrate that mystery that that Christ is with us and Christ is in it and when we consume it, eat my flesh, drink my blood, Christ is in us. And so pour out your spirit, O God on us gathered here and and on these gifts of bread and wine that they may be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we might be the body of Christ to a hurting and broken world in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.